G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, worker stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR and the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Last week, the Young Workers' Centre rallied apprentices and their supporters together to kick off a campaign calling for change to a workplace culture which puts them at risk for their lives and their future. We hear some of their stories and the solution to this wicked state of affairs. But first, some union news. Retail and fast food workers union, RAFU, has seen a dramatic increase in membership in the night-filled teams at Woolworths in Victoria and Tasmania. RAFU reports that two weeks ago, Woolworths took a knife to the livelihoods of thousands of overnight workers in Victoria and Tasmania, slashing wages by up to $500 per week in a ruthless secret operation carried out in the dead of night. Individual secret meetings saw workers handed letters telling them their rosters will change within weeks. RAFU's Secretary Josh Cullinan had this to say. Hi, I'm Josh from the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union. Well, today Woolworth Supermarkets has announced that Nightfill in Victoria and Tasmania will be coming to an end in the vast majority of stores, moving to day fill and evening fill. Um, and this means the workers that were working overnight when there generally weren't customers in stores, when they had cages and pallets out on the floor, when they were able to get their work done quickly and safely, will now have to do that work amongst uh, screaming children, amongst other workers trying to do online shopping and similar work. This is a choice made by Woolworths supermarkets to make the workplace less safe. And this is a choice about money because at the end of the day, this is a duck. It walks like a duck, it talks like a duck, and it looks like a duck because this is about avoidance of penalty rates. Workers are losing hundreds and hundreds of dollars a week under these changes, these outrageous changes that will cost workers their homes and their livelihoods. It's extremely disappointing that Woolworths yet again has sprung this on workers without a second thought for the huge impact and toll it will take on them. So there's a few things that we need to get across right away. RAFWU will stand with all of our workers because we stand up and we fight back. In another RAFU story, out of Newtown, Sydney, workers at a bookshop called Better Read Than Dead contacted the union and joined under the RAFU banner, calling for the most basic conditions, a living wage, protection from harassment, payment for all work and an enforceable enterprise agreement. They found themselves dealing with tactics from their employer which sent ripples across Australia. Following a recent post and picture, Peter Red Than Dead issued cease and desist lawyer letters to workers who shared the post on Facebook. Now Better Red Than Dead is demanding members attend show cause meetings where their employment may be terminated. 
Rafu is preparing litigation in support of members. Better Red Than Dead is also opposing the majority support determination application and the Fair Work Commission has convened a conference next week. The union said despite everyone knowing a majority of workers want to bargain, the current bad laws allow employers to delay and frustrate the process. South Australian power workers have been in a protracted dispute with Utilities Management Proprietary Limited since early 2020 to reach a new fair and reasonable enterprise agreement, which has led to a series of protected action measures such as work to rule, a ban on working on scheduled rostered days off and a four-hour stoppage. Issues for the workers include workforce across the duration of the three-year current agreement, rostering, job descriptions being 30 years old and no longer fit for purpose, the overuse of temporary higher class duties, manning levels not sufficient for workload, especially in the regional areas, and many more. There is a negotiating team for the workers made up of the CEPU South Australia, Australian Services Union, South Australia Northern Territory Branch, Professional Australia and the AMWU, the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union. They have made it clear that with a loss of 4% for bonuses, a 1.5% increase to pay rates was not acceptable. They do not appreciate their employer seeking to cut wages and undermine job security by creating a two-tiered wage system for enterprise agreement employees and that there should be greater opportunities for women in the new EBA. The Offshore Alliance, which brings together workers under the banner of the Maritime Union of Australia and the Australian Workers' Union, working on offshore rigs, have been putting some runs on the board. They reported on May the 6th that Offshore Alliance members on the Montara FPSO have just voted up their enterprise agreement, which closes off a 16-month bargaining campaign to replace employment contracts with a union EBA. The Australian Mines and Metal Association led Jade Stone into an industrial war during the negotiation of the Montara FPSO EBA, a war that could have been avoided had AMMA negotiated fair industrial outcomes in good faith, said the union. Instead, Jade Stone, under the guidance of AMMA, demanded workers cop a 14% pay cut. Their members stood their ground and after AMMA locked out uh, the delegates and two other Offshore Alliance members, they ramped up protected action. Our employee response action cost Jadestone over $6 million to the union in lost production before AMMA were removed from the negotiations and an EBA was worked out. The following key industrial outcomes have been secured in the EBA. Protection from jobs being outsourced to Boston feeder labour hire contractors. 3435 roster locked in. Base salaries between 188000 and 256000 plus allowances and annual pay increases. 14% superannuation, redundancy entitlements of 12 weeks pay and 2.5 weeks pay for each year of service. 
24-7 income protection insurance at $4,300 per week. Members have voted up the EBA and the agreement is heading off to the Fair Work Commission for approval. On May the 9th, the uh, union also said that uh, the UGL Borough Island crew started their protected action with a 24-hour stoppage. Rolling stoppages will continue every day from this point on until UGL agree to key EBA claims. The National Tertiary Education Union, the NTU, reports that despite the lower than expected financial loss in 2020 during COVID, ANU in Canberra confirmed that over 440 people will lose their jobs and that despite the improvement in ANU finances, the job cuts would continue. Simon Copeland, NTEU ANU branch president, said ANU staff are already overworked with 10% of non-casual staff gone already, plus hundreds of casual jobs. Continuing to cut will only increase the stress on workers. In Queensland, throughout the pandemic, workers at QML Pathology and Sutherland Nicolard's Pathology, SNP, raised the litany of poor practices at the private pathology clinics, which conducted tests as part of Queensland Cabronis virus testing regime. These included poor infection control processes, understaffing and additional duties outside of their role threatening safety standards. Whilst employees faced backlash after raising these safety concerns, company profits skyrocketed. QML's profits grew 150%, approximately $200 million during the pandemic. The board of directors have a combined salary of $6.5 million, while workers are being refused a fair wage increase. A sample collector working at a QML COVID testing clinic makes as little as $23.09 per hour, leaving them $15,000 worth off than their counterparts in the public sector. It would take a worker over 34 years to earn one year of QML CEO's wage of $1.65 million. SMP's profits for their Australian pathology segment increased 22%. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. The start of my apprenticeship was working for a company that was a small to medium-sized business. When I came in, I was like, I want to do all these really cool things. I want to fabricate things and forge things and make all this stuff. It's going to be really cool. I was really excited. And pretty quickly, they, they drummed that right out of me. Yeah, they pretty much said, we're not going to teach you any of that stuff. Like, pretty much day dot, you were told off. Like, you're not, even, you're not even sweeping the floor properly. What are you, like an idiot or something? I'd usually be working seven till seven. Job had to be done, and then you can go home. If it wasn't done, you weren't going home. It didn't matter if it was you were there till midnight. They were very racist, very homophobic, very abusive, physically and verbally. OHS was absolute crap. Because you'd, you'd work inside these containers or these barrels and there'd be no ventilation. So there'd be no extraction fans, nothing. And they have on the front of warning could find space and you'd regularly just be thrown into them without a ticket. We had to use a hydraulic press. There's usually two apprentices doing this job, by the way. So one would be outside pushing the button to open the clamp or close it, and the other one would be holding the clamp. If someone pushed the wrong button, you could be turning the mincemeat. There's no procedures put in place. It was two apprentices were put on the job, 
because it was cheaper to do that. Two guys getting paid nine dollars an hour. There should have been one person who was qualified working on this every single time. Most times the boss would come in during our session, our one hour session by the way, it was one hour for five apprentices with one teacher, once a month. The boss would come in, usually take two of them out, and then about 10 minutes later come and take another two out, because he's just like, I need the boys on the job. Because he had all the apprentices usually on the big projects. Cheaper labour on bigger projects, they can make more money. If I left my apprenticeship, I had one year. And then if I didn't find a new apprenticeship in that time, I had to restart everything. No one was hiring, no one was taking anyone on. I was like, oh, I'll take anything, anything. Uh, clapped out a lot of self-confidence I had. I had uh, a lot of depressing times when I was in high school and I suppose it sort of just overflowed back into being treated like crap, trying to do better and then st it's still being like, you know, you look at your work, you're like, oh, I'm proud of that, it actually looks pretty good and the boss is like, oh, it's fucking shit. It took years to get over that sort of stuff. Like, I think it was last year I think it was the first time I ever heard praise from any boss. And I was I nearly fucking wanted to cry in front of the bloke. I was like, hold it together, it's okay. <laughs> At the time, the place was just a bloody death trap. Yeah, equipment not working, hasn't been serviced for, for months. I called up the agency after a week and I said, can you get me out of this place? I don't feel comfortable here. I, feel, I honestly feel like someone's going to die here. There should be a licensing system that makes it so that bosses can employ apprentices but not take advantage of them, not abuse them, not use them as cheap labour. Actually apply them properly. It is life and death, really. I'm Mairead Lesman, I'm the Acting Director of Young Worker Centre. Tonight we're at uh, Trades Hall because uh, there's a campaign started uh, for safe apprenticeships and why is that happening? Um, so over the past year we've seen a huge uptick in the number of young apprentices that has, have come to the legal centre um, for help. Uh, they are experiencing wage theft, bullying, harassment, um, safety issues at work, all at the hands of a boss. Um, and uh, we're here to try and fix it tonight. Now it's interesting because uh, the uh, federal government has constantly been talking about, uh, talking up their uh, um, support of uh, an increasing of apprenticeships. Uh, one, that's actually a misnomer because they've actually slashed uh, funding to apprenticeships, but obviously uh, they're leaving things to the boss rather than regulating. Yeah, I think this is a huge problem. So there's a lot of money in apprenticeships, right? And this is ultimately cheap labour. Um, uh, but these young workers are here to learn, you know, and, and that's what there should be the focus. But the reality is that currently there is very little regulation in the system. Um, it's a very fractured system as well, and so no one really has responsibility um, for, for regulating and for licensing um, employers. In the past, there used to be a whole system. Yes, there did used to be. My understanding, I could be wrong on this, but my understanding is that... Um, it was one of the things that Kenneth got rid of at a state level um, and uh, has never really been replaced. So um, for us, that's one of our core core aims uh, is so that we can get a regulation, regulatory system, a regulatory body that has enough teeth, you know, to deal with the issues that we're seeing for young apprentices um, and also a licensing system as well. Now, I know that most people have in, vaguely in their mind this idea of an apprentice who is... Uh, apprentice to a, a person who's skilled and it can go for three to four years and they learn the trade. Are you seeing that this is being undermined? Well, yeah, so, um, you know, we are seeing less than half of apprentices complete their courses. 
Um, so we're seeing 46% of apprentices complete their courses, which I don't think is what people expect. They expect you to start a trade and finish a trade and become, you know, an electrician, right? But the reality is that less than half of these apprentices that are starting these courses are completing, and it's because of wage theft and bullying and harassment and safety issues that they're experiencing. Now, the tax system was created uh, partially to support people who were learning trades. There's a problem going on there too, isn't there? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm not fully across that. For us, um, we've been, you know, fundamentally seeing like singular cases. Um, but when it comes to the TAFE system, you know, they don't have enough money and enough support to be able to support these young workers with the amount of time that they have. So they only get a couple of hours with them a week. And so if there are problems, um, there's not a lot they can do about it. Um, and even with some of the, you know, some of these young workers, um, they aren't being released to go to TAFE, which is another huge issue that they're experiencing. And safety issues. Yes, yes. Yeah, huge amount of safety issues. Not being given the right PPE, not, you know, not being told how to do something. Often they aren't supervised by um, somebody who has that trade. Often it is, you know, the two apprentices on site by themselves um, or they're being supervised by, a, you know, a second-year apprentice, um, which is not the way the system's set up. And there have been deaths. Yes. Um, Dylan Wu, um, he was two weeks into his apprenticeship and unfortunately... Um, suffocated to death at work um, and you know this is the risk this is what we're you know saying is okay as a risk for young apprentices and that's not okay. Also there's a deep disrespect for young people. Yes there is and I think there's this um, narrative that you know we're coming up against which is you know young people are lazy or you know they don't work hard enough or um, it isn't about the system it's about the worker but the reality is what we are seeing across the board is that it is about the system. Have you heard about the horror apprentices are under? If you do know it, stay standing. If you've never heard anything about apprentices and any issues they've had, sit down. Beautiful, you're in the right place then. I myself am an electrical apprenticeship, right? And like most people, I started, finished high school, was 18 years old, jumped straight into an apprenticeship. I was eager to learn, um, you know, I was keen to learn the trade. I was hopeful for the future, and within months, that was smashed out of me, right? Within months, I felt despair. I felt like I couldn't even finish my apprenticeship anymore, all because of the way my employer treated me. Now, in my four-year apprenticeship, I worked for three different employers, and every single one of them treated me like crap. Every single one of them. Um, multiple, with one of the employers, when I was raising an issue about safety, they thought a good response when I was talking about safety and saying, hey, why the hell was I cutting this toxic substance for a year without you telling me about it? He thought a good response was to go, Haha, I'll show you safety, picked up a hammer and threw it straight at my head that I had to duck. Right? That was what an employer did to me and that's the way I was treated. That same employer, not that long later, um, I was coming off a 14-hour shift, I worked one 14-hour shift, went home, worked another 14-hour shift, Went home. Uh, OT was not optional. You either did it or you were sacked, was the vibe that I had. And a lot of people nodding their head, a lot of people have witnessed that. On the third day of doing these 14-hour shifts, I closed my eyes, hit oil, and went straight into a brick wall while going to, uh, to work. So I crashed my car. It was a complete and utter write-off. I had bruises all over my, my body, bruises on my face from the airbag. Called my employer up and said, hey, I've just crashed my car. I'm not going to be able to come to work. And his response was, 
Well, you're a, I'll be honest, you're a fucking idiot. Why the hell did you crash your car? Now I'm going to get you to replace work. I should sack you right now, right? That was the response. Not, are you okay? Or are you, are you, you know, do you need a few days off? Are you sure you're okay? It was, now you can't work, you're useless to me. That was the vibe that I had. And I had that my whole bloody apprenticeship. So when I finished my time, I thought, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break this cycle. When I become an A grade, I'm going to make sure that no other apprentice gets treated like I got, I got treated. Right? My first job, within two to three weeks, I saw an apprentice that was 40 years old, had two kids. He'd worked there for eight months, a lot longer than I was currently there. Be bullied to the point that he broke down and cried in front of me. I was here for two months. A 40-year-old apprentice was bullied to the point of being crying in front of me. I stood up. I said something. I was shown the door as an A-grade because I stood up for an apprentice. That was the reality of the industry we're working in, and it's absolutely not acceptable. And that's why I came to work at the Young Workers Centre, because too many young workers are being abused, they're being exploited, and not enough is being done about it. Over this time, I've been here for what, a year and a half now, I'd say, about a year and a half. I've talked to hundreds of apprentices and heard hundreds of stories very similar to that. Our apprentice intake has increased by 300%. So since we started this work about a year ago, and we've only really dipped our toe in the water of this, this abuse that we're talking about, we've seen 300% more, more people come through our doors and needing help. Now, there's no wonder that in Victoria alone, only 46% of apprentices actually make it to the end of their time, actually last, actually push through. You know, sometimes your apprenticeship feels like you're climbing Mount Everest and dodgy bosses are just throwing boulders at your left, right and centre. Some get through of it, most of us get hit, knocked back and, never, and can't even recover from it. That's just the reality. And it's happening everywhere. There's not one industry here that isn't being affected. Carpentry, construction, dental, electrical, Fitter and turners, hairdressers, horticulturists, hospitality, mechanical, plumbing. There is not one person or industry that isn't being affected by this abuse and it's got to stop. You know, we as a society rely on the skills that apprentices learn in these trades to function. Without apprentices being trained electrically, how do we get electricity to our door? How do we get water to our door? How do we get our buildings built? Our bread baked? Our hair cut? How do we get our, our, you know, our teeth worked out? Nothing will happen without us. Yet we are treated pretty poorly and it's a joke, you know. We rely on apprentices for our communities to, to function, so it's time that they can rely on us to step up and assist them in the need when they need it. And that's what this meeting is about. It's about bringing people together, it doesn't matter if you're an apprentice or not, to stand up and fight and stop this cycle of abuse that apprentices are facing. And that's so basically, employers that hire apprentices, they'll have to get a license to be able to hire an apprentice, or recruit an apprentice, I should say. Now, um, a body will regulate that licence who will be able to order companies and check their books and make sure things are safe and, and supervision is up to date and training and things like that. And if not, authorised officers could then suspend the licence or give people a warning and then could potentially suspend the licence. So they have that. Correct. They got rid of it. Basically, Liam, yeah, what you're just talking about is what you want to bring back. They got rid of it and it's destroyed. Our apprenticeship system now doesn't matter where you work, you're just getting abused and exploited and enough's enough. So how do we make this happen, right? And the first step is to take action. We have to build a movement where people understand that this is an issue because not everyone's talking about it, right? You look at 7 News, 9 News, no one mentions this stuff and there's a reason for that and we need to put it on the front line so that people actually know about it. And we do that by raising awareness, by sharing stories like Jay, like myself and like some people maybe in this room as well. You run um, the uh, training for apprentices for the CFMU, don't you? Yeah, I'm the apprenticeship officer there, yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, what's your reactions to some of the stories that the uh, young apprentices were talking about? I'm not surprised. It's just the tip of the iceberg. And largely it does, it's unreported. So they, um, 
the apprentices just go away, lick their wounds and then never go back into that industry that they tried to get into in the first place. Yeah, um, it, it seems strange to me that uh, they aren't licensed and also if there's a contract, you'd think it was a two-way contract that the employer had responsibility to the young person or the older person actually, it doesn't matter if, mm. what age you are as an apprentice. Yeah, well, there is a contract. It's a training contract. Yeah. I mean, you've got the awards and you've got laws. But once again, it becomes un- it, it doesn't get reported. And when it does, the field officers don't have any powers. So generally, it's I get a lot of calls from apprentices, um, whether they've got membership or not, and I often chase it up. Um, so the CFMU does a really good job with that. But uh, short of us doing it, um, all them getting sent off to fair work and have to go through that system by themselves and as soon as they make a couple of phone calls to fair work they just give up because it's all too hard I mean I had an African apprentice he was a bricklayer, he didn't speak English very well and they expected him to go to fair work and represent himself, he was 16 years old it's, it's just the tip of the iceberg uh, I mean, it's not just bullying it's not just harassment, it's wage theft um, and, 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 and a lot of kids just and it's their self worth, you know they, they go to work, think you know the first day of work, they go there with their new clothes on, thinking they're going to have a career in whatever industry they're going into. And then by the end of the week, their dreams are shattered. And, it, and there's no recourse. Um, you know, you get a, uh, and it's normally the same old you know, employers that do it. In the commercial industry, it's not so bad. We've sort of educated a lot of our employers. It still happens. But domestically, I mean, I've, it's not unusual for apprentices to have three, four, five jobs in domestic just to get through um, to finish their time. Um, they don't, you know, employers don't pay for trade school, they don't um, pay travel, they don't register them in their, you know, entitlements like long service, they don't pay superannuation, they get away with murder. And then, you know, uh, and then they're the victims. I mean, I've been barred from going to trade schools for, you know, different tapes and that because I go there, do the talk about wages conditions, talk to the, um, the apprentices, they're getting ripped off, they ring me, I ring the employers, and then the employers are ringing up the TAFE saying, who's this bloke telling out, you know, basically telling the kids what they're entitled to, and then they're ringing me asking for money. From 3CR Stick Together Show, so I'm sort of interested in why you've come along today. Um, so I became an apprentice due to government provisions, and even just looking for traffic control or anything, my trainer's there put me forward for a civil construction job and I took it. My first year of my apprenticeship was going quite well until they took me out of my trade school and signed me up with the worst RTO imaginable and now I'm left in my third year with no training, being bullied by management and the conditions are really, really shit for everyone. So what, uh, when you say that it's shit, does that mean that they just put you anywhere and without any consultation, no safety no, checks? No, no consultation. Um, I work as a HSR, so I, in, I actually enforce the safety side. They, I have a lot of fights with management about safety, but with the power of the Act behind me, that, that helps, and understanding the Act also helps. But it's, a, it's also a big fight. Yeah, and also... Uh, Everyone's so isolated. Uh, Working together, coming to a meeting like this is really important, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Power in numbers. Like, 
yeah, the more voices that speak up, the louder and the more it will be heard.